Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, hello, wherever and whenever you are, and welcome to this bonus Between Seasons episode of Stories of Your and Yours. My name is Sean Ennis, and today we will travel together to the Emerald Isle to see what kind of tales await us. Now this may not be your usual episode, but we're still going to kick things off with an iTunes review. How much? Free? No way! By TN Volunteer Review. Checked out SYY and I loved it. As a fan of audiobooks and graphic audio, this was right up my alley. If you want some well-narrated stories with extra voices and sound effects, you gotta check out this show. Highly recommended. Thanks very much to TN Volunteer Review, Go Vols, and thank you to all of you who have left a review that I haven't gotten to yet. I will still get to all of you, so don't be shy about leaving more reviews. If you heard the last mini-episode that I put out, a very special episode, if you will, you may remember I mentioned I'd show up between seasons from time to time to tell you about collaborations I'm doing and give updates on the upcoming season. So before we get to the story and a couple other treats I've got in store for you, let me tell you what's going on. There are two other shows that I've appeared on recently, and I'll link to them in the show notes and on the Facebook page. Speaking of the Facebook page, by the way, it's been a while since I've done a shout-out to those who have given a little like to the page. So a big shout-out to Dan from Netflix and Swill, to Jenna, Trisha and Shauna from Two Girls on a Bench, uh, Goldie, and Kayla from the Get Grim podcast, who we're going to hear from in just a bit. So if you like and follow the Facebook page or just check the show notes, you'll see the links to my appearances on the Forgotten News podcast which is a show that shines light on old news stories that are lost to time, and on a show called Blood on the Rocks. Now, Blood on the Rocks, besides having a very cool name for the show, just released a mega collaboration that featured several podcasts, namely Your Brain on Facts, Cutting Class, which are two of my favorites, Strange Animals, All Bad Things, Based on a True Story, Ignorance Was Bliss, Human Circus, Soul Story, Folklore on the Rocks, another friend of the show, Uncanny Japan, and Bunny Trails. The episode released on Sunday, which was November 11th, otherwise known as Armistice Day. And Armistice Day was the day in 1918 that marked a cessation of hostilities on the Western Front of World War I, though the Treaty of Versailles wouldn't be signed until the following year. So, all of these shows each did segments about very different aspects of World War I, and I was able to listen to the show yesterday. It came off really, really well. I was very impressed with what everybody did, uh, and I was already a fan of some of the shows featured, but now I need to check out a few of the others that I heard there for the first time. So those are the recent collaborations I've done on other shows. And in the spirit of collaboration, I've got a couple of guests on today's show as well. Today I'm going to be featuring some tales that were pulled from a volume called Fairy and Folk Tales of the Irish Peasantry. This was a request from Olivia in upstate New York, who has been a fan of the show for a while now and requested this back in August. It's a long and boring story as to why it took so long to fulfill this request, and I actually recorded the story some time ago. You may remember if you've been listening for a while that I actually teased the folklore episode a while back, but it got delayed for a while, and now, here we are. The good thing about this delay, however, is that I was able to ask a couple of my friends from other podcasts to do some intros for me. You see, I am not a fairy tale or folklore expert, as my focus is on the short story, but I happen to know a couple of ladies who know their stuff when it comes to these tales. So, here's how it's going to work. I have three pieces today. The first is called The Stolen Child, which is a poem by W.B. Yeats. I've asked my friend Kayla from the Get Grim podcast to cover that introduction for me, so I'm going to start off by playing her intro, 
and then we're going to roll right into the poem. After that, I've got a story called The Brewery of Eggshells. For that intro, I've enlisted the help of the narrator from the Mythical Podcast. After that intro, we'll roll right into that story, and then the final story, called The Twelve Wild Geese, will also have an intro from the narrator. Now, Mythical was a podcast partner some time ago, and that show presents fairy tales read by the narrator, and she provides a kind of running commentary alongside the stories. It's a very cool idea, and she does it really well. Get Grim is another fairy tale podcast, where Kayla presents the stories in a way that is easily digestible for the modern listener and for the young listener. As you may know, these fairy tales have a tendency to be somewhat dark from time to time, and Kayla will give you a version that's not so scary for kids, but she'll also subtly let the adults in the room know about the differences between various versions of the story of the week. In short, I subscribe to both of these shows, and I recommend them heartily. In particular, I very much enjoyed last week's episode of both shows, actually, featuring the juniper tree on Mythical and the history of Baba Yaga on Get Grim. And again, you'll find links to these shows in the show notes and on social media. So, now that you know where to find some collaborations outside of this show, let's turn things over to Kayla, and I will see you back here after the last story to see what we learned and to tell you what we know so far about Season 2. Kayla, take it away. Hello, everyone. I'm Kayla from the podcast Get Grim, where I talk about mythology, folklore, and fairy tales. And for this very special episode, I have been asked by Sean to introduce you to the author and some of his inspiration for this particular tale. So, as we say on my show, once upon a time, there was a man named W.B. Yeats, and he became one of the most influential poets of the 20th century, particularly known for his influence on Ireland's national literature. He won the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1923, and in addition to his poetry, he also produced collections of folklore and fairy tales, as well as writing plays and literary reviews. He had a deep-seated interest in mysticism and the supernatural, all of which would fuel his later writings. William Butler Yeats was born in 1865 in Sandy Mount, Ireland, the son of John Yeats, an artist, and Susan Poloxfin. He spent much of his life moving between Ireland and England, and his early education happened at home, where his mother would tell her children stories and tales of Irish folklore, which would become a common theme in his works as an adult. Despite spending a large portion of his childhood in London, he maintained his Irish roots throughout his life and his works. 1885 became a foundational year in Yeats's adult life because it saw some of his publications in the Dublin University Review, as well as his budding interest in spiritualism. He also met John O'Leary in this year, who had a keen interest in Irish culture, and this in turn inspired Yeats to include these themes and subjects in his own writings. His poem, The Stolen Child, reflects these interests in Irish mythology. It was first published in 1886 in Irish Monthly and was later included in his collection, The Wanderings of Oisin and Other Poems. To better understand the poem, you'll need a little exposure to the type of Iris mythology Yeats called on in his writing. He frequently features races of fairies in his writings known as the Ace-She. Translated, the name means the People of the Mounds. The People of the Mounds are a literary counterpart to the Tuatha de Danann, or the tribe of the goddess Danu, the original inhabitants of Ireland. Later, they fought against the Milesians, thought to be from Iberia. The tribe of Danu lost and the land was divided between them and the Milesians. But the Milesians were clever and had the land divided in an underhanded way. The Milesians received the land above the ground, 
and the Tuatha de Danann received the land under the ground. The Tuatha de Danann and the Aeshi are known by many names, such as the good neighbors, the folk, or the fair folk. And the fair folk are said to be very peculiar people. They are known to be fiercely proud and territorial, and as such, they are easy to cross and almost always seek retaliation when a slight or offense is perceived. In many tales, the fair folk are known to steal human children and replace them with fairy children, also known as changelings. Some even suspect that this detail in the Irish tradition was used as a way to scare children into good behavior, sort of like the boogeyman. In any case, you should be careful when wandering into fairy dwellings because the fairy's reputation for being deceptive. And this deception is strongly present in the poem The Stolen Child. It's narrated from the perspective of the fairies, and they are in the process of beguiling or tempting a child away into their world. They show the child the goodies that they have in their possession, and each stanza ends with a refrain that the world is full of trials and tribulations, and the child would be happier to come away with them, away from the trials and suffering of the human world. So, without further ado, I caution you to warn your children against the temptations of the fairies, lest they become a stolen child. The Stolen Child by W.B. Yeats Where dips the rocky highland of the sleuth wood in the lake, there lies a leafy island where flapping herons wake the drowsy waterlets. There we've hid our fairy vets full of berries and of reddest stolen cherries. Come away, O oh human child. To the waters and the wild, with a fairy hand in hand, for the world's more full of weeping than you can understand. Where the wave of moonlight glosses the dim grey sands with light, far off by furthest losses we foot it all the night, weaving olden dances mingling hands and mingling glances till the moon has taken flight. To and fro we leap and chase the frothy bubbles while the world is full of troubles and anxious in its sleep. Come away, O oh human child, to the waters and the wild with a fairy hand in hand for the world's more full of weeping than you can understand. Where the wandering water gushes from the hills above Glencar, in pools among the rushes that scarce could bear the star, we seek for slumbering trout and whispering in their ears, give them unquiet dreams, leaning softly out from ferns that drop their tears over the young streams. Come away, O oh human child, to the waters and the wild, with a fairy hand in hand, for the world's more full of weeping than you can understand. Away with us he's going, the solemn-eyed he'll hear no more the lowing of the calves on the warm hillside, or the kettle on the hob, sing peace into his breast, 
or see the brown moist bob round and round the oatmeal chest, for he comes, the human child, to the waters in the wild, with a fairy hand in hand, for the world's more full of weeping than he can understand. next story deals with every parent's fear, their child being stolen. The Brewery of Eggshells by T. Crofton Croker was included in the collection Fairy Legends and Traditions of the South of Ireland. It was published in several volumes between 1825 and 1826. Born in January 1798, Croker was an avid collector of Irish poetry and Irish folklore traveling all over the country to gather the tales. He published at least six works of his own and contributed to other folklore collections. His collections of tales were held in high regard and helped inspire writers of the Irish literary revival in the late 1800s. Writers like W.B. Yeats. Croker died in August of 1854. The Brewery of Eggshells is a folklore, or legend, from the south of Ireland, and is part of a popular storytelling style of the time, changeling legends. Fairies would replace human children, sometimes so well that the parents hardly noticed. Often the fairies were sick and wanted to be taken care of like a small child. Other times the fairy would be deformed. There was a belief held by some that these stories were rooted in truth. If a child weren't developing, quote-unquote, normally, it wasn't the parents' fault. It's that the child wasn't their offspring and had been replaced. Because the parents thought their child had been kidnapped, all manner of cruelty inflicted on the changeling was justified. The story's endings vary. Some end happily, while others do not. Brewing eggs was a popular plot device in many changeling tales in Ireland and Wales. Rather than spoil their meaning, let's listen to Sean Reed the Brewery of Eggshells. The Brewery of Eggshells by T. Crofton Croker Mrs. Sullivan fancied that her youngest child had been exchanged by the fairy's theft, and certainly appearances warranted such a conclusion. For in one night her healthy blue-eyed boy had become shriveled up into almost nothing, and never ceased squalling and crying. This naturally made poor Mrs. Sullivan very unhappy, and all the neighbors, by way of comforting her, said that her own child was beyond any kind of doubt with the good people, and that one of themselves was put in his place. Mrs. Sullivan, of course, could not disbelieve what everyone told her, but she did not wish to hurt the thing for although its face was so withered and its body wasted away to a mere skeleton it still had a strong resemblance to her own boy she therefore could not find it in her heart to roast it alive on the griddle or burn its nose off with the red-hot tongs or to throw it out in the snow on the roadside notwithstanding these and several like proceedings were strongly recommended to her for the recovery of her child one day, who should Mrs. Sullivan meet but a cunning woman, well known about the country by the name of Ellen Leah, or Grey Ellen. She had the gift, however she got it, of telling where the dead were, 
and what was the good for the rest of their souls, and could charm away warts and wens and do a great many wonderful things of the same nature. "'You're in grief this morning, Mrs. Sullivan,' were the first words of Ellen Leah to her. "'You may say that, Ellen,' said Mrs. Sullivan, "'and good cause I have to be in grief, for there was my own fine child whipped up from me out of his cradle, without so much as a by your leave or ask your pardon, and an ugly donny bit of shriveled-up fairy put in his place. No wonder, then, that you see me in grief, Ellen.' "'Small blame to you, Mrs. Sullivan,' said Ellen Leah. "'But are you sure tis a fairy?' "'Sure,' echoed Mrs. Sullivan. "'Sure enough I am to my sorrow, and can I doubt my own two eyes? Every mother's soul must feel for me.' "'Will you take an old woman's advice?' said Ellen Leah, fixing her wild and mysterious gaze upon the unhappy mother, and, after a pause, she added, "'But maybe you'll call it foolish. "'Can you get me back my child, my own child, Ellen?' said Mrs. Sullivan with great energy. "'If you do as I bid you,' returned Ellen Leah, "'you'll know.' Mrs. Sullivan was silent in expectation, and Ellen continued, "'Put down the big pot full of water on the fire and make it boil like mad. Then get a dozen new-laid eggs, break them, and keep the shells, but throw away the rest.' When that is done, put the shells in the pot of boiling water, and you will soon know whether it is your own boy or a fairy. And if you find it is a fairy in the cradle, take the red-hot poker and cram it down his ugly throat. You will not have much trouble with him after that, I promise you. Home went Mrs. Sullivan, and did as Ellen Leah desired. She put the pot on the fire and plenty of turf under it, and set the water boiling at such a rate that if ever water was red-hot, it surely was. The child was lying, for a wonder, quite easy and quiet in the cradle, every now and then cocking his eye that would twinkle as keen as a star in the frosty night over at the great fire and the big pot upon it, and he looked on with great attention at Mrs. Sullivan breaking the eggs and putting down the eggshells to boil. At last he asked with a voice of a very old man, "'What are you doing, Mammy?' Mrs. Sullivan's heart, as she said herself, was up in her mouth ready to choke her at hearing the child speak. But she contrived to put her poker in the fire and to answer without making any wonder of the words, I'm brewing a vick, my son. And what are you brewing, mammy? said the little imp, whose supernatural gift of speech now proved beyond question that he was a fairy substitute. I wish the poker was red, thought Mrs. Sullivan, but it was a large one and took a long time heating, so she determined to keep him in talk until the poker was in proper state to thrust down his throat, and therefore repeated the question. "'Is it what I'm brewing a vic?' said she. "'You want to know?' "'Yes, Mammy. What are you brewing?' returned the fairy. "'Eggshells a vic,' said Mrs. Sullivan. "'Oh!' shrieked the imp, starting up in the cradle and clapping his hands together. "'I'm fifteen hundred years in the world, and I never saw a brewery of eggshells before!' The poker was by this time quite red, and Mrs. Sullivan, seizing it, ran furiously towards the cradle, but somehow or other her foot slipped, and she fell flat on the floor, and the poker flew out of her hand to the other end of the house. However, she got up without much loss of time and went to the cradle, intending to pitch the wicked thing that was in it into the pot of boiling water. When there she saw her own child in a sweet sleep, one of his soft round arms rested upon the pillow, his features were as placid as if their repose had never been disturbed save the rosy mouth, which moved with a gentle and regular breathing. 
Our final story today is by Patrick Kennedy. It's more of a traditional fairy tale, titled The Twelve Wild Geese. Kennedy lived between 1801 and 1873. He was a teacher, but abandoned that to become a bookseller. He was another author whose collections impacted the Irish Literary Revival and W.B. Yeats. Kennedy began sending his stories to magazines before a full collection was published in 1866. During my research, I couldn't find a whole lot of this particular story's history, but The Twelve Wild Geese is categorized in the Arne Thompson Index, a classification system for folktales and fairy tales. It's classified as a tale of magic, with an enchanted relative, and a maiden who seeks her brothers. In its company are other tales, such as The Six Swans and The Twelve Wild Ducks. All these stories also include another classification, The Speechless Princess. Whether that be the result of a curse or choice depends on the story. Often, the sister is called to perform a series of tasks or to make clothes to reverse the curse of her brothers. While Patrick Kennedy is credited as the original author, W.B. Yeats did take the tale and interpret his own version. But today, we'll stick with the original. It's a story of familiar bonds, sacrifice, and life being dependent on sewing skills. Please enjoy this reading of The Twelve Wild Geese. The Twelve Wild Geese by Patrick Kennedy There was once a king and queen that lived very happily together, and they had twelve sons and not a single daughter. We are always wishing for what we haven't, and don't care for what we have, and so it was with the queen. One day in winter, when the bond was covered with snow, she was looking out of the parlor window, and saw there a calf that was just killed by the butcher, and a raven standing near it. Oh, said she, if I only had a daughter with her skin as white as that snow, and her cheeks as red as that blood, and her hair as black as that raven, I'd give away every one of my twelve sons for her. The moment she said the word, she got a great fright, and a shiver went through her, and in an instant after, a severe-looking old woman stood before her. "'That was a wicked wish you made,' said she. "'And to punish you it will be granted.' You'll have such a daughter as you desire, but the very day of her birth you will lose your other children. She vanished the moment she said the words. And that very way it turned out. When she expected her delivery, she had her children all in a large room of the palace, with guards all round it. But the very hour her daughter came into the world, the guards inside and outside heard a great whirling and whistling, and the twelve princes were seen flying one after the other out through the open window, and away like so many arrows over the woods. Well, the king was in great grief for the loss of his sons, and he would be very enraged with his wife, if only he knew that she is so much to blame for it. Everyone called the little princess Snow White and Rose Red, on account of her beautiful complexion. She was the most loving and lovable child that could be seen anywhere. When she was twelve years old, she began to be very sad and lonely and to torment her mother asking her about her brothers that she thought were dead, for none up to that time ever told her the exact thing that happened them. The secret was weighing very heavy on the queen's conscience, and as the little girl persevered in her questions, at last she told her, 
well mother said she it was on my account that my poor brothers were changed into wild geese and are now suffering all sorts of hardship before the world is a day older i'll be off to seek them and try to restore them to their own shapes the king and queen had her well watched but all was no use next night she was getting through the woods that surrounded the palace and she went on and on that night until the evening of the next day she had a few cakes with her and she got nuts and mulgreens and mulgreens fruit of the sweet briar and some sweet crabs and she went along at last she came to a nice wooden house just at sunset there was a fine garden round it full of the handsomest flowers and a gate in the hedge she went in and saw a table laid out with twelve plates and twelve knives and forks and twelve spoons and there were cakes and cold wild fowl and fruit along with the plates and there was a good fire in another long room there were twelve beds well while she was looking round about her she heard the gate opening and footsteps along the walk and in came twelve young men but there was a great grief and surprise on all their faces when they laid eyes on her oh what misfortune sent you here said the eldest for the sake of a girl we were obliged to leave our father's court and be in the shape of wild geese all day that's twelve years ago and we took a solemn oath that we would kill the first young girl that came into our hands it's a pity to put such an innocent handsome girl as you out of the world but we must keep our oath but said she i'm your only sister that never knew anything about this till yesterday and i stole away from our father's and mother's palace last night to find you out and relieve you if i can every one of them clasped his hands and looked down on the floor and you could hear a pin fall till the eldest cried out a curse light on our oath what shall we do i'll tell you that said an old woman that appeared in an instant among them break your wicked oath which no one should keep if you attempted to lay an uncivil finger on her i'd chain you into twelve bowling boice stalks of ragweed but i wish well to you as well as to her she is appointed to be your deliverer in this way she must spin and knit twelve shirts for you out of bog down to be gathered by her own hands on the moor just outside of the wood it will take her five years to do it and if once she speaks or laughs or cries the whole time you will have to remain wild geese by day till you're called out of the world so take care of your sister it is worth your while the fairy then vanished and it was only a strife with the brothers to see who would be the first to kiss and hug their sister so for three long years the poor young princess was occupied pulling bog down spinning it and knitting it into shirts and at the end of the three years she had eight made during all that time she never spoke a word nor laughed nor cried the last was the hardest to refrain from one fine day she was sitting in the garden spinning when in sprung a fine greyhound and bounded up to her and laid his paws on her shoulder and licked her forehead and her hair the next minute a beautiful young prince rode up to the little garden gate took off his hat and asked for leave to come in she gave him a little nod and in he walked he made ever so many apologies for intruding and asked her ever so many questions but not a word could he get out of her he loved her so much from the first moment that he could not leave her till he told her he was king of a country just bordering on the forest and he begged her to come home with him and be his wife she couldn't help loving him as much as he did her and although she shook her head very often and was very sorry to leave her brothers at last she nodded her head and put her hand in his she knew well enough that the good fairy and her brothers would be able to find her out 
Before she went, she brought out a basket holding all her bog down, and another holding the eight shirts. The attendants took charge of these, and the prince placed her before him on the horse. The only thing that disturbed him while riding along was the displeasure his stepmother would feel at what he had done. However, he was full master at home, and as soon as he arrived he sent for the bishop, got his bride nicely dressed, and the marriage was celebrated, the bride answering by signs. He knew by her manners that she was of high birth, and no two could be fonder of each other. The wicked stepmother did all she could to make mischief, saying she was sure she was only a woodman's daughter. But nothing could disturb the young king's opinion of his wife. In good time the young queen was delivered of a beautiful boy, and the king was so glad he hardly knew what to do for joy. All the grandeur of the christening and happiness of the parents tormented the bad woman more than I can tell you, and she determined to put a stop to all their comfort. She got a sleeping posset given to the young mother, and while she was thinking and thinking how she could best make away with the child, she saw a wicked-looking wolf in the garden, looking up at her and licking his chops. She lost no time, but snatched the child from the arms of the sleeping woman and pitched it out. The beast caught it in its mouth and was over the garden fence in a minute. The wicked woman then pricked her own fingers and dabbled the blood round the mouth of the sleeping mother. Well, the young king was just then coming into the big bawn from hunting, and as soon as he entered the house, she beckoned to him, shed a few crocodile tears, began to cry and wring her hands, and hurried him along the passage to the bedchamber. Oh, wasn't the poor king frightened when he saw the queen's mouth bloody and missed his child? It would take two hours to tell you the devilment of the old queen, the confusion and fright and grief of the young king and queen, the bad opinion he began to feel of his wife and the struggle she had to keep down her bitter sorrow and not give way to it by speaking or lamenting. The young king would not allow anyone to be called and ordered his stepmother to give out that the child fell from the mother's arms at the window and that a wild beast ran off with it. The wicked woman pretended to do so, but she told underhand to everybody she spoke to what the king and herself saw in the bedchamber. The young queen was the most unhappy woman in the three kingdoms for a long time, between sorrow for her child and her husband's bad opinion. Still she neither spoke nor cried, and she gathered bog down and went on with the shirts. Often the twelve wild geese would be seen lighting on the trees in the park or on the smooth sod and looking at her in the windows. So she worked on to get the shirts finished, but another year was at an end, and she had the twelfth shirt finished except one arm, when she was obliged to, to take to her bed, and a beautiful girl was born. Now the king was on his guard, and he would not let the mother and child be left alone for a minute, but the wicked woman bribed some of the attendants, set others asleep, gave the sleepy posset to the queen, and had a person watching to snatch the child away and kill it. But what should she see but the same wolf in the garden looking up and licking his chops again? Out went the child, and away with it flew the wolf, and she smeared the sleeping mother's mouth and face with blood, and then roared and bawled and cried out to the king and everybody she met, and the room was filled, and everyone was sure the young queen had just devoured her own babe. The poor mother thought now her life would leave her. She was in such a state she could neither think nor pray, but she sat like a stone and worked away at the arm of the twelfth shirt. The king was for taking her to the house in the wood where he found her, but the stepmother and the lords of the court and the judges would not hear of it, and she was condemned to be burned in the big bawn at three o'clock the same day. When the hour drew near, the king went to the farthest part of his palace, and there was no more unhappy man in his kingdom at that hour. When the executioners came and let her off, she took the pile of shirts in her arms, 
There were still a few stitches wanted, and while they were tying her to the stakes, still she worked on. At the last stitch, she seemed overcome and dropped a tear on her work. But the moment after, she sprang up and shouted out, "'I am innocent! Call my husband!' The executioners stayed their hands, except one wicked-disposed creature, who set fire to the faggot next him, and while all were struck in amaze, there was a rushing of wings, and in a moment the twelve wild geese were standing around the pile. Before you could count twelve, she flung a shirt over each bird, and there in the twinkling of an eye there were twelve of the finest young men that could be collected out of a thousand. While some were untying their sister, the eldest, taking a strong stake in his hand, struck the busy executioner such a blow that he never needed another. While they were comforting the young queen and the king was hurrying to the spot, a fine-looking woman appeared among them holding the babe in one arm and little prince by the hand. There was nothing but crying for joy and laughing for joy and hugging and kissing, and when anyone had time to thank the good fairy who, in the shape of a wolf, carried the child away, she was not to be found. Never was such happiness enjoyed in any palace that was ever built. And if the wicked queen and her helpers were not torn by wild horses, they richly deserved it. Well, we learned a few things from these stories today, my friends. And among them is never trust the fair folk. And apparently it pays to know how to make your own clothes. Also, one other thing that I've noted as I've listened to Mythical and Get Grim, it's a little disturbing how often someone will see blood on the snow and then wish for a daughter with snow-white skin and blood-red lips. Like, it happens pretty often, actually. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Stories of Your and Yours, and if you did, I would love it if you spread the word and leave an iTunes review for me to read on the show. If you've got a story to submit, or if you have a request for a short story, send that in to syypodcast at gmail.com, or hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter via the same handle, at SYYPodcast. You can also use that handle just to come by and say hello. For a full list of music and sound effect credits, please visit syypodcast.libsyn.com slash blog. Now, I will see you again here before the start of Season 2. In particular, I've got a Christmas episode planned. And I'm thinking that Season 2 will premiere at some point early in 2019, but I don't have a date locked down just yet. Here's what I know so far. I ran a poll on Facebook and Twitter, and the stipulation was that I would be starting with a story by Edgar Allan Poe in Season 2, and I asked what story everyone wanted to hear. It was close between The Fall of the House of Usher and The Pit and the Pendulum, but ultimately, The Pit and the Pendulum won out. So that will be featured on the first episode. I'm putting together a list of other stories that will be featured during the season, so if you've got something you want to hear, let me know about it and I'll get it on the list. That includes you authors with originals that you want to share. I'll leave some open slots for the stragglers to submit their stories, but don't delay too long. I'm going to begin recording very soon, and I'll keep you updated along the way. So, till we meet again, this has been Stories of Your and Yours. I've been Sean Ennis. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.